It's so wonderful to see each one of your beautiful faces today. Welcome. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. John the Baptist spoke about becoming pure. John chapter 3, starting at verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. John the Baptist spoke about purity as a reduction process, where I become less and less and less, and Jesus becomes more and more and more. This fire of the human spirit must be replaced by the fire of God, or the human spirit will burn and take over, and there will be no room for Jesus. There's no room for Jesus to be more and more and more and for you to be more and more and more. When Jesus is more, he will guide you, he will speak to you, but it will take giving up your life, putting everything you think you know, I think I know, aside, laying it at the cross. So a couple questions for you today. Do you have a desire to walk free from sin? Are you walking free from sin? And if the answer is no, maybe you're struggling with bitterness, lust, pride, anger, and, but the desire is there. And Jesus, I want to be free. I believe that it's possible to be free, but why aren't I free yet? Well, I can testify to you today that is absolutely possible. But it starts with a very simple understanding where Jesus must become more and more and more and you become less and less and less. And the second question is, do you need Jesus to answer your prayers? For the promises to be open to you? 
Jesus will answer and he will open the door in your life conditionally as you become less and he becomes more. Laying aside all expectations, staying under Jesus, and allowing him to have all kingdom authority over your life. It's something I've come to recently. As I've brought my petitions and requests to Jesus, I've realized at times I've been too big. Even as I've been standing on what Jesus has said to me, standing on the promises, believing Jesus, there's been that inclination to hold on a little too tight. We have to cling to Jesus, but the promises belong to Jesus, not, not to us. They're according to his purpose and his holy and divine plan. So as I've been standing and believing with my whole heart, the Lord has led me to totally take my hands off, fully believing him and saying, Jesus, what is the truth you want me to know? What is your truth with my hands off that you want me to see, what you want me to walk in? Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the people around us who are watching very carefully, who don't want to quite make that commitment yet. It's about Jesus having a holy people that he can depend on, that he can look and say, yes, there, there are those who stand for righteousness and are walking in it. When we stand this way, Jesus will come. A man can receive only what is given him, from heaven. So can we stand together as a church, as a family, agreeing no matter what the struggle is, no matter how impossible it may seem, that Jesus will become more and more and more, and we will become less and less and less. I welcome you in the name of Jesus to the National Prayer Chapel. I want to share with you what the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about Jesus. In chapter 4 of the book of Matthew, I want to share a message with you behind the scenes of the temptations behind the scenes of the temptations. Almighty God, let me only speak your word. Be pleased with the response of our hearts. I pray in your mighty name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. The word of the Lord came to Jesus. I do not know how. Perhaps word infiltrated Nazareth. Have you heard about this 
Old Testament prophet, the baptizer. He's over on the Jordan. The crowds are going to him, and he's saying that it's time for Messiah. And people began to go from Nazareth. The two and a half day walk to where John was baptizing. There was a desert on the east and the west, but he was at the Jordan. People were confessing their sins and they were being baptized. And Jesus knew it was time. He left behind his business. The word carpenter in translation in our Bibles does not mean that he necessarily worked with wood. The more common meaning of the word is stonemason. And there were great projects in Galilee, in Jerusalem, where stone workers built for King Herod great amphitheaters where the entertainment would be carried on. There was home building. There was every kind of activity. Jesus would have had a very prosperous business. He walked away from it. When you walk away from your business, how do you support yourself? How do you survive? Jesus only knew that he was called to go and be baptized by John. Now, Jesus was fully man and he was fully God, but the God side of Jesus was shielded from the human side. And so Jesus did not access at any point in his ministry the God side. He walked in the human side. Now, not human as we are, human as Adam was before he fell. He did not have a fallen nature because he was born of the Holy Spirit, not of Joseph. He walked without sin. But because he walked without sin does not in any any means indicate that Jesus did not have to go into the place of prayer and stay there and battle through. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And the place of suffering, which is greatest in our lives, is the prayer closet, is in the scriptures. It is where we are trained It is not in the television. It is not in your cell phone. And one man, I think, had a wonderful idea, and I have already put it into practice. He said, begin to carry your Bible with you, and every time you want to look at your cell phone, begin to read the scriptures. He said, treat your Bible like your cell phone. And turn to it constantly. Check the news in the scriptures, not on your cell phone. 
That's the place of suffering. That's the place where we grow. Where all self-reliance is destroyed. And so Jesus goes to be baptized. Now I'm not going to speak on this very much today. But if you want to see the, the great difficulty... of being a follower of the Lord God of heaven. Look at all the trouble Jesus had just being born. Herod tried to kill him. He was not announced in Jerusalem. They had no interest. He was announced to stinky shepherds. Wise men came from a far distance who were not Jewish, who were Gentiles. They came and worshipped him. The first to worship Jesus. They were not Jews, they were Gentiles. And they brought with them gold and frankincense and myrrh. These gifts would be used then by Joseph to escape to Egypt. And return. Jesus' birthing was not easy. His growing up was not easy. And now he goes and his ministry is going to open. And he comes to John the Baptist. And John recognizes him and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And then tries to argue with him and say, no, no, you baptize me, Jesus. I can't baptize you. Can you imagine? Jesus comes to do all to fulfill righteousness and the arrogance of a righteous man to begin to argue with him and tell him what he should be doing. Just a side note, any of you been arguing with Jesus this week and trying to tell him how he should run his business in handling you? Have there been any complaints coming out of your heart? Or have you been saying, Jesus, have your way, not my way, your way? So Jesus comes, he's baptized And God the Father has to speak from the heavenlies. This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. I wonder if that was the first time he'd heard from his daddy. There's no indication he'd had any speaking before this. Now the Catholic Church adopts this foolish position that Jesus as a little boy was healing birds and healing animals? No. There's no indication in the scripture that Jesus did one miracle as a child or as a young man. I suspect he was not even fully conscious of who he was, of what he was. But he comes now out of baptism. And chapter 4 says, 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tested by the devil. Now, we've assumed that in a, an hour or so, Jesus was tempted, <coughs> and it was over. The scriptures in two places say he was tempted for 40 days. <coughs> now, how would Satan know how to tempt Jesus? Well, first of all, he's a man. And there are some things that are common to all men. He also had been listening to Jesus' prayers. He knew what the concerns were of Jesus' heart. Thank you, sweetheart. Now, I want you to know what the concerns were of Jesus' heart. It doesn't say specifically. But we know by the temptation what the issue was. Satan comes and he says in verse 3, and the tempter having come to him, he said, if you are the son of God, then you speak that these stones might become loaves of bread. Remember, Jesus had walked away from his business. He was no longer a stonemason or a carpenter. He no longer was earning shekels. His income had dried up. Now, how was he going to survive? If you have not faced the question, how can I survive? And do the will of God. I pray you soon face that. One of the problems in America is that we have our plastic. And we have our accounts. And we have this and we have that. And they allow us to escape the question. How are you going to survive? By the power of God. Some of you have been tested severely in this and are currently, as I am preaching, still being tested severely. And when you're tested in this manner, your mind goes in every which direction. I, I could do that. I have a, ten things I could do over here. What should I do? How should I take care of myself? After all, I'm responsible for my own life. Am I? If you think that you are responsible for your own life, you are not a Christian. By very definition, the word Christian means Christ follower. You cannot follow your own designs and follow Jesus at the same time. And now Jesus, who is without sin, is confronting the very issue of Father, am I going to die in this desert? 
Look, either the manna comes or you die in the desert. Either the spring rain comes or the fruit that you have so carefully planted and the sacrifices you have made so abundantly will be for nothing and nothing will be produced and only God can bring that spring rain. So what Jesus had to face right off the starting block, I will not provide for myself. God will provide for me. And he was very clear when he said, verse 4, it stands written, man will not live by bread alone. Oh, I'm so glad he said that. He acknowledged that we have to eat. I mean, what would we think if he had not acknowledged that, yes, you have to eat? We would have said, that's impossible. That's crazy. I'd die. No, Jesus knows we need to eat. He, needs, he knows we need to pay the rent, the car mortgage, the house mortgage. He knows we need all of these things. Man will not live by bread alone, but also by every rhema coming out of the mouth of God. It's that rhema coming out of the mouth of God that says, go here, don't go there. Listen and obey as we're in the desert When our pockets are full of shekels, we don't want much. Then when our pockets no longer jingle, and we're down to our last shekel. I stood at the counter in Israel, and I said, how many shekels? And they told me, and I reached in my pocket, I only had one shekel left. And he said to me, I'm sorry, that's not enough. I said, do you take American? Oh, yes. I'm happy. So I pulled out of my pocket dollar bills. Oh, we like this better than shekels. What do you do when you're down to your last shekel? Do you have American you can pull out? Your own plans, your own means, your own way of escape? Or have you learned that the only way out of the desert is by way of the cloud leading you? That's what Jesus had to learn at the beginning of his ministry. No self-dependence. Only depend on the word of the living God. The devil comes to him at some point in the 40 days and takes him back to Jerusalem. And he stood on the pinnacle of the temple. I looked at that pinnacle, it is high. I would not want to even stand on it. 
He said to him, If you are the Son of God, then you cast yourself down. For it stands written, He will commend His angels concerning you, and upon their hands they will lift you up, lest they may, that you may strike your foot against a stone. The question Jesus has is, Okay, Father, how do I open this ministry? If he had asked me, how do I open this ministry? I would have said, go to Jerusalem and pull off a PR stunt. Get the attention of all the people in Jerusalem. Start in Jerusalem. No. He had to hear what the plan of God was to establish this ministry. We have all of our wonderful Western ideas our entrepreneurial skill and ideas. We've got to hear a rhema word of God and then walk in that word. The way out of the desert is where the cloud leads us. Now, I know for some of you, I'm just speaking foolishness. You have lived your life following your own best instincts and the idea of turning away from your own best instincts and trusting in a God of heaven that you can't see. Jesus couldn't see God either. He was a man like you or like I am. He was charged with bringing salvation To Israel, the angel had said he will save his people from their sins. The first evening, we drove into Galilee. We stayed at a beautiful hotel. The next morning at breakfast, Tom Moyer from Weva, the manager, said to me, Well, Ray, what do you think? And with tears in my eyes, I said, I wish I had not come. I don't know why God sent me to this land. If I could, I'd get on the airplane now and I'd leave and I'd never come back. He said, Why, Ray? And now the whole table was absolutely silent. Why is Pastor Ray so upset that he says he wishes he could go home now? I said, remember when Peter saw the catch of fish? He said, Jesus, depart from me, for I'm a wicked man. That's how I felt. I saw that there was absolutely no way Jesus could have penetrated the culture without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I've spent my whole life struggling to do something of value for God and for his kingdom. And suddenly I was confronted with the land we call the Holy Land, 
where it was absolutely clear that a man or a woman could not do anything to win that country or those people. In Jesus' day, more than 45,000 people lived packed together right there on the Sea of Galilee. Huge crowds came to listen to Jesus. But why did they come? Not because of what he was saying. They came because of what he was doing. He was healing their sickness. He was going to their synagogues. He was opening the scroll. He was preaching, but he was healing the blind, the lame, the palsied. He was healing in the power of the Spirit of God. I said, Lord, my absolute inability to do anything of value for your kingdom is utterly exposed. I can do nothing without the anointing power of your Holy Spirit. And while through the years I have cried out constantly for the power of the Holy Spirit, I recognize now that it's not just an add-on, it's everything. I've done as some of you have. I've made a decision, okay, I'm going to pray for every sick person for their healing, even though nothing may happen, but once in a while, something will happen. And that's been my experience. Pastor, will you pray for so? Yes. Sometimes, sometimes no. Sometimes they're healed and sometimes they're not. This is not what was happening with Jesus. Every person Jesus touched was healed. So we practice praying for the sick without the anointing and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We have to have him in his fullness or we will not touch America and one of the great sadnesses of my heart standing at the Sea of Galilee was to recognize that there was nothing left of Jesus in that place it's as though he put his finger in the water pulled it out and the water came back together That's why I said all sentimentality was removed. We as his disciples are supposed to be able to go back there and make a difference. But we've tried to do it with our programs and our printing presses and our radios and our televisions. We've got to do it by the power of the Spirit. That's how Jesus made the impact. So he says to the devil, 
Don't test the Lord your God. And right now, part of what I have to do is not say, Jesus, are you with me or aren't you? Are you here? Are you with the National Prayer Chapel or aren't you? He is with us. But we need the Holy Spirit. We need the spring rain. We need his divine intervention in our lives. And his promise is that he will do that for us. And I am standing by faith, and I pray you will stand by faith that the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be released in your life and mine and in the life of this church, in the life of our business, in the life of our work, in our families, that in every area the power of the Holy Spirit will come and knock down the devil's arguments saying, hey, he's not here, go do something spectacular and force him to move. We don't force God to do anything. There is a third great temptation. The devil takes him in verse 8 to a very high mountain and points all of the kingdoms of the world to him. Now, it's a question of where did Jesus go? There's a desert on each side. To which desert did Jesus go? The more I looked at it, I said to our guide, who is very familiar, I said, tell me, where do you think Jesus went? He said, I I have no question but no proof. I know where he went. He went to Mount Nebo. You know Mount Nebo? When Moses was taken up the mountain, told to climb the mountain, and from there he viewed all of the promised land, Mount Nebo. I think Jesus also went to Mount Nebo, and there the devil showed him all of the kingdoms of the earth, and said, I will give these kingdoms to you if you will just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, you must get behind me, Satan. For it stands written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and you shall serve him alone. And the devil leaves him. And look, angels came and were serving him. Jesus was not to die on Mount Nebo. He was to die in Jerusalem on the outskirts. Some of you have been to the high place. And you look out over all the possibilities and you say, All of that can be mine. And you listen to the words of Satan to your heart. Jesus looked out and he saw all of his people. 
And he said, they're mine. But I'm going to have to shed my blood to pay. He was not interested in a shortcut. Jesus has seen your life. He's watched how you have spoken this week. He's watched as bitterness and rage have entered your heart. He's watched and listened as you've spoken and what manner of speech you had. From Mount Nebo, Jesus sees you. And he knows what's in your heart. Now I want to share one last piece with you, if I may. Not everyone who hears these words of mine keeps on doing them. I will compare him to a wise man who built his house upon the bedrock. And the rain fell and the rivers flooded and the winds blew and beat against that house. And yet it fell not because it had been founded upon bedrock. But everyone hearing these words of mine and does not keep on doing them will be compared to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell and the rivers flooded and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and the fall of it was great. Please hear me now. The place of beginning in righteousness is what you do or don't do. The beginning of righteousness is what you do or don't do. (coughs) And Jesus is saying, everyone is going to have the storm of the desert come against you. Satan knows what the issues are in your heart. He has tailor-made seductions to take you out of the hand of Jesus. He knows whether it will take a new Harley Davidson. He knows whether it will take, should I say it? that Camaro. He knows whether it will take the new house. He knows whether it will take a relationship. Satan knows where your buttons are. 
If you're a control freak, he knows that. If you're angry because you don't get your way, he knows that. He tailor makes the temptation for your life. And the question is, will you fall prey to that? Or will you say, Satan, get thee behind me. I am not going to be angry with my husband. I'm not going to be angry with my wife. I will not give way to any bitterness or any root of wickedness in my heart. I will not do it, Satan. Get out of here. You see, we have thought that all sin comes to us because of us. And in reality, it does. It rises up out of the lust of our heart. But it's not just the lust of our heart. It's Satan baiting the hook for us. I hear Christians say something that just breaks my heart every time I hear it. I'm not going to do that. I don't care if that would please. I'm not going to do that. Oh, really? Thank you. You're not going to do that. You're not going to live there. You're not going to drive that kind of car. You're not going to eat like that. You have very firm standards about the way you're going to walk and what you expect and the respect you want from others. And if you don't get it, you're angry. No. Those are very well-designed temptations that the devil brings to your heart to draw you away from Jesus, to fill you with pride and arrogance. I will no longer say, I will not do that. Instead, I say, Jesus, I will do what you ask me to do. I will go where you send me. I will say what you tell me to say. And I will spend 40 days in the wilderness on my face crying out before you if that's what it takes for my heart to be cleared out so that I can hear you. Remember, Jesus was without sin and it took him 40 days to hear God's will. Some of us think if we don't hear God's will in the first five minutes, we're out of the prayer closet. That's how shallow we are. I remember when I set my heart on prayer, after 10 minutes, I'd said everything twice, and I was utterly at a loss. I didn't know how to pray any further than that. And that's when Jesus began to say to me, pray the Psalms to me. And oh, as I began to pray the Psalms, and I began to find the promises of God, everything became electric. And then I began spending five, six, seven hours a day in the prayer closet before God because he just uncovered my heart. Other than Jesus, I love David more than anyone else in all of the scriptures because he taught me how to pray. 
So your cell phone is probably a cleverly designed piece of subterfuge from the devil. Facebook surely is. All manner of designs have been created to pull you out of the heart of Jesus. You have to decide. The National Prayer Chapel needs to become a people of God who are no longer afraid to walk in the desert and who have pledged in their heart I will wait upon the Lord. I stood in the the Mount of Olives. In Gethsemane. All I could do was stand there and weep. The presence of the Holy Spirit was so powerful. The group came and gathered around me and said, Ray, pray. Lead us. And the prayer that came unbidden from my lips Lord Jesus, I re-dedicate myself and the covenant I have with you that I will only seek your authority over my life. Your divine kingdom authority over my life. And secondly, I will only seek your righteousness. That's my covenant with the Lord. Satan is going to come against you with every cleverly designed temptation. Stand. Don't waver. Spring rain is coming. We're not going to die in the desert. Lord Jesus, come with power and bring the rain. And deliver us from the desert. That, Lord, we would do your will. 
and do your work. I pray in your holy name. Amen.